Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here for a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with my co-host, Benny Lewis. We're chatting with a Fluent in Three Months Challenge participant, studying multiple languages, including Japanese, French, and Italian. Before we dive into our chat with Tom, I just want to take a step back and take a moment to talk about the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. So the Fluent in Three Months Challenge is a 90-day program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation in your language as a part of a supportive community. And as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, we've seen thousands of students succeed. If you're interested in learning more and joining us, you can learn more at languagehacking.com slash challenge. So back to our chat with Tom. In our conversation with Tom, we talk about learning new writing systems and Asian languages, using scripts to get ahead in your conversations in another language, why you sometimes need to do things that are outside of your comfort zone, like recording videos to get ahead in your learning, how introversion impacts your language studies, both good and bad, how to pick the right language tutor, how to build confidence and courage in yourself and your language skills, tips for avoiding the comparison trap, and juggling multiple languages as a hobbyist. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. Now, let's get into our chat with Tom. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 92. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello there. My name is Shannon Kennedy, co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. And today we are talking with one of our Fluent in Three Months Challenge participants, Tom. So why don't we go ahead and just get straight into it? Tom, do you want to share how you embarked along your language learning journey? Yeah, absolutely. I first got in to learning languages as a child. And I guess my first exposure to a foreign language was when I was four and we went to France. And I can distinctly remember being forced to say please and thank you in French and finding it all really strange. And then if we fast forward a long, long way, I had the normal, regular school route. I enjoyed French in school, but we didn't do an awful lot of speaking French. So it was only as a kind of young adult when I, I des- decided that I wanted to be able to speak to people. I eventually sort of found out it was something I really enjoyed. I guess I got to the three, Fluent in Three Months Challenge much later on after listening to this exact podcast. So it's kind of weird for me to be here talking about it. And in a lot of ways, I I wish I'd found the the Fluent in Three Months Challenge sooner because the lessons that I've learned through it have kind of accelerated the whole language learning process quite a lot. I'd like to call that a podcastception, where you're on the podcast because you heard of the podcast. It all comes full circle. And so like, what's what changed? Like, what's different between your previous experience with language learning and what's been happening as a part of the challenge? It's probably something that a lot of language learners have guessed, and I'm quite an introverted person. So in English, if if I have a choice between reading a book or listening to a podcast and talking to a human being, I will usually choose the reading a book and listening to a podcast option. And I think I was probably 
quite guilty of studying languages through textbooks and learning grammar and fixating on verb tables. And then as soon as a a real live person popped up, just being that rabbit in the headlights and not remembering how to conjugate etra in the third person plural and yeah, not, not being able to actually use the language. And I think the biggest turning point for me in my language learning journey over the last 20 years was when I, I was on a language exchange and I spent two weeks in Annecy in the south of France. Um, and from the moment I arrived, my language exchange partner said in French, whilst we're here, we're just going to speak French. And I was like, okay. That was the turning point, I think, where I realised that whilst I knew a lot about languages, I couldn't use them to communicate. And a similar thing has happened kind of throughout the journey where I've, I've realised in various different languages that I knew a lot about languages, but I couldn't put them together and, and have a conversation with people. So you mentioned French and your background with European languages, but when you took part in the challenge, you studied a language of a completely different language family. So what inspired you to take the leap from European languages to Japanese? I love different writing systems. So Chinese characters were always a huge source of fascination for me. And actually, before I joined the challenge, my lockdown project was Mandarin Chinese. So I spent about a year learning that solo, um, just with italki tutors and textbooks. And I had a great time. It was really enjoyable. I could just about string a conversation together. But I think I got to the end of the year and realised that my reason for learning Chinese was that I thought the characters were really cool. And I was getting more into Japanese culture. I've always been a little bit nerdy when it comes to anime. And Japanese culture is endlessly fascinating. The history is amazing. And there's there's a lot to love. So I decided to park Mandarin. And I thought if I was going to try, I mean, many languages have a claim of being really hard languages, but Japanese is definitely up there. But it was probably time to take the plunge, do a challenge, dive in and um, yeah, see how far I could get. And what was that experience like? like how did you uh, start to get that momentum with Japanese? And how did the experience in the challenge look like considering it's such a different language? I came up against a, a few roadblocks because my my biggest source of fascination with the language was my biggest frustration, and that was the Japanese writing system is incredible, but also really complex. And my first go-to when learning European languages was always something in written form, because that's how I'm most comfortable. And I think in a lot of ways, sort of sidestepping the, the writing system and just having to dive into listening and speaking was quite liberating. So I think initially I was very heavily app-based. I'm a duolingoholic, so I spend a lot of time with streaks and league tables, and I find that really motivating. So I think initially I did a deep dive with Duolingo. A huge reason why I put the challenge off was recording myself and listening to my voice makes me feel really ill. But it was probably the most helpful thing I think I've ever done in terms of sitting down and having to rehearse what I was going to say, practicing it, recording it, going back a few times, recording it again. So I think my first video that I ever did for my first challenge took about three days, seven takes. And in the end, I I just had to kind of crack on and do it. But it was really helpful to go through that script writing process and put something together and have a conversation with myself initially was was endlessly helpful, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about your scripting process, because I know that scripting can be something that's a little bit mysterious, because for each person, it can look so different. So what works for you as far as scripting? I think initially, I'll start off with a kind of 
basic caveman version of English. Um, the, there's no point in me starting off in a brand new language saying, my name's Tom, and when I was young, I really liked playing in the park with my mother and, and adding in lots of extra complex layers. It just has to kind of be like, my name's Tom, Tom from Britain. It was really kind of pared down and simple. I would then probably use Google Translate to translate the words I didn't know, and essentially then put together a paragraph. I'll post that paragraph on something like Journaly or italki in the community area and receive some feedback just to make sure that I'm not making any huge errors and then separate it back out again into separate chunks so that I can hopefully use that in a recording. Inevitably, I will then go completely off-piste when it comes to making the recording and only use half the script, but it, it is helpful to, to put it together. So you were saying that when you were first getting into doing these recordings, you would feel nauseous at the idea of recording your own voice. And that's a big part of the challenge is making these videos. So how did you deal with that fact that it's something you're so uncomfortable with doing, and yet it's so effective in helping you to, to get that output and to begin to have the confidence to start speaking yourself, even though you really hate doing this thing initially? How did you uh, get more comfortable with it? I had a, a big chat with myself before beginning the challenge that if I was going to do the challenge, I was going to really embrace all aspects of the challenge and just run at it. I pre-challenge and outside of language learning, I got really into health and fitness a few years ago and, and did a bit of a deep dive on habit formation and reaching goals. And I think I used that in a similar way as training for a marathon. Nobody wants to go out for a four-hour run on a Sunday, but there are sort of steps you can take to convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. And I think that background really helped me in, in terms of getting myself to do a recording, listen to my voice and work through that discomfort. So I think, yeah, I think if anyone was thinking about doing the challenge, have a good word with yourself before you go and just say, look, whatever happens, I'm going to reach those milestones, hit record and accept that the result is never going to be perfect. You had mentioned earlier that you're quite introverted. And I think in a lot of ways, we can look at our introversion as being something that holds us back. But you can actually use your introversion in a lot of ways in language learning to, uh, to your advantage. And so I'm curious to know what are some of the ways you felt that it's held you back and some of the ways that it's helped you move forward? So in terms of being an introvert, I, in my life, will avoid speaking to people in English. So I think the what I've noticed is that when I go abroad, the stumbling block isn't fear of making mistakes in a foreign language or, or being misunderstood. The, the stumbling block is actually just forcing myself to talk to another human being, because that's not something I would do in English. So trying to work up the courage to do that in another language, I think that's the, the real way that you can be held back as an introvert is just the lack of a will to want to talk to other people. But it's really interesting how many people within the challenge community would describe themselves as introverts. And I know I've heard you, Shannon, talk about yourself as being an introvert. And I think the superpower that it gives you is being able to sit there with a textbook or with a book or a podcast for an hour and really just focus on that. So I think as an introvert, you, you're much more able to sit and focus and study and read and listen. And I, I definitely think that's the case for me. I think I really enjoy my own company and language learning falls into that umbrella for me. Yeah, it makes sense. And and that's absolutely true that I, I would not describe myself as an introvert. And I find 
great difficulty in staying focused on things like reading books and listening to things because I prefer to get out and be talking with people. But at the same time, there is that temptation that in, in your case that you know it's helping you. It's definitely a productive thing to be reading, to be studying, to be listening to audio materials. So the temptation is, since that's helping me, why not just avoid the speaking part entirely? I can just focus on all of these things that are more comfortable for me as an introvert. So how can you push through? What what? Because like you said, you've found methods in the past, like with health and fitness. Uh, so what strategies has worked for you to decide that, yes, it's more comfortable for me to just be like learning kanji, for instance, right now, but I really do need to practice speaking. So how, how have you worked through those mental blocks when you know the other things are definitely going to help you, but you still have to get that spoken practice? I think a lot of introverts, certainly most of the ones I, I have met, we all love a list um, and a plan. A new IT, italki lesson for me is a similar level of nausea as recording myself. Um, and I have to do a lot of deep breathing and calming exercises before clicking onto that first lesson. But before that, way before that, you've got to try and find a teacher and that that would take me weeks. So I think one of the advantages of the challenge was that there were certain points during that where you have to book things in, you know, because you've got time limits. What I do now, if I have to choose a new teacher, is I set uh, an alarm on my phone for a week's time. And when that alarm goes off, I have to book a lesson. So I've given myself a time limit to scroll through the list. And now I have a set system for scrolling through the list. I'll go through the list. Does that teacher have any availability at 7am GMT when I want to have a lesson? No. Next. Does that teacher have any availability at 7am GMT when I want to have a lesson? Yes. Do I like their video? Yes. Book a lesson. And sometimes I might not get to step three. I might just earmark them as a possibility. And then when my alarm goes off a week later, I've got to book a lesson. And then when the lesson's booked in, I never cancel it. So I do sit there. I've paid my money. I turn up. I hit go. And then even if it takes me, you know, five minutes to remember how to speak any Japanese, I'm, I'm in the system. I'm, I'm doing it. So a few times now you've mentioned confidence and courage. And I know for a lot of language learners starting out, they don't feel so confident in their abilities and they have to work up a lot of courage in order to do some of the things that are necessary to do to make the next steps forward. So what are some of the things that you've done to improve both your confidence and your courage in yourself and your language ability? I wouldn't describe myself as an overly confident or courageous person. So there's definitely got to be something I'm doing to enhance that. I guess confidence and courage for me are a lot like motivation. I, I listened to a lot of Mel Robbins during my fitness journey, and she said something that really stuck with me, and I'm going to tone it down because this is a family-friendly podcast. But motivation is rubbish because it's never there when you need it most. And for me, that's the same as confidence and courage. It's never there when you when you need it, when you want to click book, when you want to have a conversation with somebody. You're never feeling, I'm never feeling confident, and I'm never feeling motivated to do it. But after a lesson, wow, you're, you're fired up, you've had a conversation, you've learned some words in Japanese, you've used something from a textbook in real life, and that's when you know the motivation is there. So to get you to that stage, you need to have habits in place or a system in place or steps that you can take. So I think for me, like I said, with the, the booking the first lesson, you've got to break it down. Okay, well, what do I want to achieve? I want to be sat there at seven o'clock in the morning, ready to have a lesson. 
what are the steps that I take to do that and break it into things that feel small and manageable and that you don't need confidence or courage to do and then use that motivation at the end of a lesson to book your next lesson. So yeah, that's how I think I would probably say I've, I've dealt with an underwhelming amount of confidence. So the confidence is one thing that can hold us back, but even with everything potentially going well, life can still throw us a curveball. And in the middle of one of your challenges, you had a, a big curveball thrown in uh, with the loss of a family member, and that would have completely derailed most people's challenges. And it's obviously going to set you back. So how did you process that in such a way that you are able to deal with it, but you still didn't lose the momentum you had built up? Again, that comes down to having habits in place. And I think being able to feel accomplished in, in completing those habits, even during the low times. So at, at times, I think where life gets a little bit hard, it's have a conversation with yourself, work out what your daily minimum is. I still get a dopamine rush off with ticking things off on Todoist, and it makes me feel good. So for me, every single day, ticking those things off is a positive. And I think when life is trying to derail you, you know, throughout that time, I didn't have amazing learning days. I didn't have days where I sat down for three hours of the textbook or had a lesson every single day. But I did my daily minimum. I ticked off my flashcards, would listen to some music when I was feeling down. Music can be a great boost in any language. So if you're feeling particularly low, have that pumped up playlist to get you going in Japanese. My favourite playlist is in Italian because there's a load of songs on there which are just, the beat's great, you feel good. Putting that on whilst you're at the gym, that, that's exposing yourself to Italian and it's something you could easily do in English, but why not? Set, set your daily minimum, tick those items off the list, feel a bit dopamine and even then when, when life's trying to kind of throw you off, off path, you, can, you know it's going to help you feel good. So this one isn't as extreme, um, but it's still something that can throw a lot of people off. You had mentioned that you often find yourself falling into the comparison trap. And I know that this is something that so many people deal with in so many facets of their life, not just language learning. So what are some of the things that you do when you find that you're starting to creep down that path, kind of get back on it and combat those thoughts that you have about when you compare yourself to other people? Compare and despair is something that I think any language learner will come up against at any given point. And it, it still happens most days because there are some amazing people within the, the Fluent in Three Months community who speak five different languages and four of them will be at C1 level. And I don't speak any languages apart from English at C1 level. So it's, it's really easy if you want to find people to compare yourself against and feel bad, you can. I think, I, again, I, I had an advantage in that going along a, a kind of inverted commas fitness journey, you can compare yourself against anybody who's got a six pack and feel bad and reach for a bag of crisps. And it's a similar thing in language learning. You can look at somebody who speaks four languages at C1 level and feel bad and then think, why bother? I'm just going to continue along my monolingual path. And I think you can always see people like the two of you are amazing linguists and really inspirational polyglots. Some of Shannon's videos where she's sharing her first steps in her language, I find to be completely inspirational because they're where I am. So it's a similar thing. And I can look at Shannon's videos of her doing her day zero, her day 30, her day 60, and think, that's what I'm doing. So if I carry on, and if I keep going, one day, maybe I'll be able to speak as many languages as Shannon. The other thing I think I like to tell myself on a regular basis, I am a dentist. I'm not a professional language learner. It's a hobby, and it's enjoyable. 
I'm not in a position where I can drop all of my daily commitments and study for 12 hours a day um, because I have to spend eight of those hours at work and, you know, an hour walking the dog. And I like to go to the gym a few times a week. So I think it's worth remembering that one of the reasons why I'm not there is because I have other things that I need to do in life. So, yeah, I think I tell myself I'm a dentist, not a professional language learner about 10 times a day. And then I also remind myself that we're all human. You know, I, I was raised in a monolingual English household and everybody has to start somewhere. Like you said, you can compare people to others when they're at their absolute peak, or you can also see that the likes of Shannon and myself who are experienced language learners, but we still have these day zero videos. We still have these moments that we're clearly struggling. So you can either filter those out and just see the successes, or you could see that everybody has their own versions of struggles. And like you said, it's okay to say that, you know, I'm a dentist and this is something I'm doing on the side and that is totally fine. During one of the final videos that you made, uh, the theme of the conversation was you were talking about Christmas. So that I don't know if that was necessarily something that you were spontaneously ready for, or did you decide ahead of time, I'm going to talk about this topic. I'm going to research vocabulary. I'm going to prepare, you know, imagine example conversations because talking about complex specific topics can be a very tricky issue. So how did you deal with that when you wanted to very specifically talk about Christmas in your target language? It's this kind of similar process that I go through every week when I'm trying to figure out things that I can talk with my tutors about. So I'll, I'll kind of, I've, I've done it too many times where I've turned up to a lesson, had nothing to say, and we've gone through the, the kind of the usual rigmarole of, are you going to work today? What's the weather like? What did you do at the weekend? And it, it makes for a less productive lesson. So I think every week I'll kind of sit down and, and think of three or four things that I can talk about, try and look up a couple of words. If I'm feeling really prepared, I might look up a few sentence structures that I've recently studied and try and cram some example sentences together. And I, I did that with Christmas because Christmas is a pretty big event over in the UK. And it's what we talk about for the mo most of the month of December. And that's where my day 90 video was. I think the other thing that I like to do is I like to have two conversations a week. And in the first conversation, that doesn't get recorded as a day 90 video, but it does give me a lot of corrections and a lot of words that I need to talk about. And then the second conversation within a, a given week, that might be the one that I use for my day 90 video. And that's the one that I will use all of the sentences and words from the first lesson in a bit more of a kind of polished way. So speaking of your day 90 videos, um, I'm going to quote you here. During one of your day 90 videos, you said, there's a bit in the middle where I get really confused, but I think I work it out in the end. I think for a lot of language learners, this could totally derail their conversation and mess with their confidence. So in that moment where you weren't understanding, where did you find the confidence and what were the strategies you used to get back into it and not just give up because you've gotten lost? I have a lot more practice at getting lost in conversations than most people. Um, I use hearing aids and... A lot of times in my life, I've not understood people in English. So I think maybe I'm just a little bit more comfortable making a fool of myself than most people are. Most recently, when I, when I went to Italy, an Italian woman looked really confusedly at my passport as if to say, he's British, he should be understanding this English I'm saying to him. And me being like, I don't know. Probably reflecting on the fact that misunderstandings happen, even in people's own languages. In English, all of us will have had experiences where we'll have been talking about a poll and in our head, we're going, a metal pole? No, he means a survey. There's, there's lots of kind of miscommunications that can happen. And taking a step back and just realizing that that's not the end of the world and it happens 
in any language, I think is a really important realisation to come to as a language learner. And you get lots of exposure to that throughout the challenge. There's a horrendous mini challenge where you had to have three conversations with three separate people. And I had a great out for that because in my first challenge, I was actually on holiday in Scotland and I had to have all of those three conversations on a laptop in my car because we were camping, <laughs> hotspotted off my phone. I think if I'd not had that conversation with myself at the start that I was going to do the challenge and I was going to do everything, um, I could have easily <laughs> taken a little bit of a free pass because I was in Scotland in a car. But doing that, having those three conversations and forcing yourself through all of those misunderstandings each time it happens, you get a little bit more comfortable with not being understood and it being okay, and then trying to use your limited caveman Japanese vocabulary to piece something together. You get more comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's a really cool part. So I think I probably went in with more practice about being uncomfortable and, and being misunderstood. You and I actually have that in common, that I have had quite a lot of hearing issues, and I grew up with that. Uh slightly poor hearing in one ear and then in recent years it got so bad I've actually had four surgeries on my ear and for one whole year I was wearing hearing aids so um, in a way I look back on that and I feel the same way as you that I actually grew up somewhat struggling to understand people speaking English unless it was a very quiet environment and in a way that meant that I was just so used to communication issues that getting into languages it felt a little bit more natural to me that like, I'm just not going to understand people when they speak to me, as well as the fact that I'm not going to understand them for both linguistic and potentially noise issues. So um, in a way, our setbacks can actually be advantages. That's a good way of looking at it. like even a, a hearing issue can ultimately give you the mindset that you need to be a good language learner. But another good mindset that you personally had is you're very good at celebrating your successes, whether they're small or big. And that's very important because a lot of people can get bogged down with the failures, you know, like, oh, I didn't know that word. And, and that completely destroys their confidence that they just think on all the bad things that happened during a spoken session. And you've been very good at celebrating those successes. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think celebrating successes is amazingly important. And it's something as a British man that we, um, I think as a cultural thing, we're not very good at singing our own praises. And I think going back to the quote unquote fitness journey, waking up one day and being like, hey, I did it. I, I did my exercise. I've eaten really good foods. I'm killing it. If you use that mentality to drive you forwards, it's much, much, much better than being typically British and being like, today was fine, on to tomorrow, and waiting for a big win. Because if you wait for the big win, you're probably going to derail yourself. So I think that's something that I learned from the quote unquote fitness journey. And it's something that I try and do because the ultimate goal is to be fluent. I, you know, I, I want to be able to communicate with people maybe natively, and that will take the best part of the next 20 years. And if I wait for that goal, it's not going to happen. So I, I have to get really excited about the fact that yesterday I used a different verb tense that I have been struggling with, or my tutor told me that I'm no longer a beginner, or I managed to navigate car hire in French. You know, the, the small things that feel really good. And I think that's another amazing thing about the community is you get to share those things with people who understand what a big deal it is. Because as much as my family love and support me, I think they get a bit tired of hearing about different tenses and how excited I am to be able to talk to people in different languages. And it's good to have people who understand. 
So we've touched on the fact that you have studied multiple languages a few times, but for someone who is interested in learning multiple languages, you know, as you've also said, you're a dentist. So that's your job, your vocation and language learning is something you do on the side. So around family life and your job, how is it that you're able to juggle multiple languages? What are your strategies? Sometimes I think I juggle multiple languages quite poorly. And I think a lot of people who try and juggle multiple languages will feel the same. I have been a huge fan of this podcast and have listened to, I think the two of you have quite different approaches to learning and maintaining different languages. From that, I've taken that there probably is no best way to juggle them. My current approach is that Japanese is my focus. It's what I want to, the, the language I want to grow the most. And it's the language that I dedicate the most of my time to. French, I've been speaking for a very long time. So I'm on that long, slow burn of trying to get to maybe a C1 level. But it's also, French is a language that I can read a novel in, or I can listen to a podcast about fitness in French. So I can change those activities that I would normally do in English into foreign language activities in French. And it's probably the only language that I can do that in, but it's an easy way for me to maintain different languages by doing that. And then Italian's just been a, a language that I'm tinkering away at. So in the current challenge, I'm aiming to do an hour a day in Japanese and maybe half an hour a day in either French or Italian. And that's, I would say, enough to slowly chip away at progress in those two sort of secondary languages, but I'm not making any great leaps in them. In terms of fitting it around life, depends what's happening in life. But on a normal working day, I wake up quite early and then I make sure I get an hour of solid language time in before the day begins. And then I'm winning already because normally by half past seven, I've kind of ticked an hour of something off and then I can get ready for work, go to work. In my lunch hour, I'll do another half an hour of flashcards. And then the drive to and from work is a 30 minute podcast. I'll walk the dogs when I get home. That's another 30 minute podcast. And then I'll probably do something whilst I'm lucky enough to have my dinner made for me in the evening. So I think it's just about nailing down those times when you're going to insert language learning into your life. And I think the other thing that's really important is that didn't all happen at once. I didn't wake up one day and decide, this is how I'm going to structure my life and now I'm going to do it. It was a step at a time. So initially, I've got half an hour of a lunch break and I'm going to do half an hour of flashcards. And I worked up from there kind of step by step. Yeah, it's very interesting because people imagine that, you know, you could only have this amount of language injected into your life if you're doing it full time, but you work full time in another job. And yet you're still, like you said, you're getting up early, you're putting that one hour in and you have all of these other ways that you can sprinkle in into your life. And it adds up, it adds up to several hours each day that you're genuinely putting into this project. And that makes a significant difference over the long run. So uh, what are your ultimate plans with uh, these languages? Like what's your long-term goals with them and what drives you to continue to push towards getting to that fluent level and what do you want to use these languages for someday? Again, an excellent question. I probably fit into the category of person who I don't have any concrete need for learning languages. My career doesn't demand them. My entire family and my husband are all monolingually English, so I don't need to learn a language to help understand or communicate with them. It's just something that I've identified as a, a deeply enjoyable part of life. I would credit my, my dad with giving me a bit of a passion for languages, because whenever we went away on holiday, made quite a big effort to be able to say please and thank you, two beers, where were the toilets? 
And being able to communicate with people and kind of stand out from a crowd gives you a huge feeling of accomplishment. And I think that's probably what keeps me going. Being a part of being able to experience other people's cultures in different languages is incredible. And I think that's maybe the driving force that I have. But in the same breath, you know, I spent a year learning Mandarin Chinese and I've kind of put that down for the time being. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm kind of aware that my Chinese level was was here and now it's it's slowly, steadily dropping lower and lower as I willfully neglect it. And the same things happened with Spanish. I was really good at Spanish at one stage and now I'm not quite so good at Spanish anymore. And that's okay because I'm enjoying learning other languages. So I think the eventual goal, I really want to be able to fairly effortlessly understand Japanese and read the Japanese script would be amazing. French has been my long-term language love and I would like to get to a level where I feel like that is near native. I don't know, maybe just be able to pronounce things and not be identified as a bumbling Englishman would be a great goal in French. But I have no concrete need for them. I just, I really enjoy it. It gets me out of bed in the morning. And the ultimate goal of traveling, understanding, being understood is probably what keeps me going. One of the questions that we like to ask each of the guests that come on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, is what is your definition of language hacking? For me, the hack is finding what keeps you going. So something Benny said before is do today what will make you want to study tomorrow. And that's the hack. Find whatever aspect of language learning you really enjoy and that you can do on the days when you feel like you don't want to learn anymore. And then you'll study the next day and you've won because eventually you'll get to a level where you can do what you want to do with that language. Very well said. Well, this has been a fascinating chat. Thank you very much, Tom. Loads of interesting takeaways there and appreciate you joining us today. I hope we continue to see your progress over uh, any future challenges. So until the next time, I'll wish everyone listening very happy language learning. Happy language learning. All right. So as a part of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we learned or took away from our conversation with our guests. And these are things that we highly suggest trying out in the next week or so to see how they work for you in your own language learning. So in our chat with Tom, Benny, I hope you don't mind if I go first. I would say that my biggest takeaway was what he said about not waiting for the big wins. And I I know it's a cultural thing, but for me, one of the things that I've really struggled with is almost even acknowledging any success. Like I just kind of do things and I take them off the list, but I never take any time to celebrate any of what I've accomplished, whether big or small. And a lot of the time, I think it's because I'm waiting for a big win. And in my own head, I can convince myself that even big wins aren't big enough, if that makes any sense. So I think for me, my takeaway was to take a little bit more time to celebrate. And I think my goal for this week is to have at least three times that I celebrate something that I I do between now and the next episode. What about you, Benny? What was your takeaway? Now, that was a great takeaway for sure. The one I personally uh, liked the best was when he said, uh, motivation is rubbish because it's never, it's never there when you need it. And I know I've definitely had off days. And on those off days, I've thought to myself, well, I'm not feeling any motivation. So maybe I should just not show up for my lesson today. Maybe I should just not listen to this podcast I was going to listen to and so on. It becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy that because I've decided today's an off day, I'm going to make it so. And in general, I've actually found those bursts of motivation usually ha- happen 
after I've pushed through the fact that I'm having an off day. And like he was saying, that he actually feels after having that session with a, a spoken session with a teacher, then he suddenly feels all motivated and he's ready to do other things and he's ready to book a bunch of other lessons. And I know a lot of people listening may feel like there are times when they're about to jump into a session with a teacher or a spoken opportunity is right in front of them. And in their head, they're thinking, I don't feel like I'm ready for this right now. And that backs them out. And I know it's it's a lot easier said than done to just like push through and just do it anyway. But if you can decide to ignore the fact that today is an off day, ignore the fact that I'm not being feeling motivated and do it anyway, that's where your motivation is going to come from. And this is a, a huge discovery. So I would absolutely agree that motivation is rubbish. Don't decide I don't have motivation today, therefore I shouldn't study. And like he said, lots of other things like getting into routines can give you the momentum that motivation doesn't even become a factor in whether you're going to do it today or not. But always remember that if you're telling yourself, I'm having an off day, I don't feel motivated, that that is not a good enough reason for you to decide, therefore I'm not going to work today. And uh, I hope that will stick with people too. So that was my takeaway. Yeah, that was really interesting. That came from Mel Robbins. And I, I wasn't familiar with Mel Robbins, but based on my own experience in music, I've always kind of had this mindset that you can't rely on motivation. You have to rely on discipline because it's the same thing. If I were to rely on motivation or inspiration to sit down and write music, I would never write music. It's one of those things I have to just sit in front of my piano and tinker around until an idea comes. And that discipline is where the motivation comes from. I've always seen motivation as the reward, not the initiating factor. So if you enjoy this episode of the podcast, please share your thoughts with us over at languagehacking.com slash review. We read every single review and we appreciate hearing from you. It lets us know what you like most about the podcast and it also helps other language learners like yourself find us. Once more, all of the links and resources and other fun stuff mentioned in this episode are going to be available to you as a part of the show notes. And until the next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pasco, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.